Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. I'm excited to teach today. Now, a couple weeks ago, for anyone who's here, our good friend Brandon Washington was here. And for anyone who is privileged to hear him, Brandon is a preacher. Like, that man can preach. And Matt Halst, he can tell story after story, and he can get the people going, get them laughing. And I'm not really either of those things, but I can teach. So, so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite, you know, interaction, you know, some amens. Ben, if you want to start yelling in the background, when it gets real good, just be like, teach, teach. Okay? So I'm inviting some participation but we were just praying beforehand and felt like a lot of anticipation about this word. So we're looking at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16 today. And it's all about this kingdom vision of individuality and community working in partnership together. And whew, I was bawling my eyes out for the last week just even praying about it and prepping this. So who knows what's going to happen today. And, and I had time to prep, so I brought all my books. We're going to read all three of these books today in the next 30 minutes. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. We're not. But basically, there'll be two parts. I'm going to kind of walk through these verses, about 10 minutes or so, and then we'll get really practical. I felt kind of two challenges, two words for the community in light of Ephesians 4. So to kick it off, though, I was praying about this, and that the Lord brought me back to this moment um, maybe five years ago. Katie and I were leading this retreat space in, with an organization called YWAM, and we we're up at this Macapala Retreat Center on the north side of the Big Island. It's my favorite place in the whole world. And it was late one night, and we have a noise policy because there's other locals in this community. And I heard someone like making all this racket up in this main hall. So I go up in there and I stumble upon Ike Huffman. Some of you guys know Ike. And he's sitting over in the corner, fully mic'd and hooked up to the sound system, just sitting, staring at the wall, worshiping by himself. And, and in traditional creeper status, I, I snapped a picture. And he didn't know I was there. I bet I sat there for an hour and he didn't know. And I didn't tell him to be quiet. I just let him go. And I put this picture sits on my on my wall above my computer in my office. And my wife and baby are there too. It's not just Ike. <laughs> if Katie were here, she'd be like, what? <laughs> but I'm sitting there worshiping with my friend. And I, I mean, Lord speaks to each of us differently, but I felt this tender, tender whisper in my heart. And God said, relationships are the only eternal thing you build in this life. It's the only thing that's going to remain. And I'm just sitting back there bawling in this like beautiful moment of like one of my best friends in the whole world. And we're just worshiping Jesus and I'm just, I'm feeling the feels. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, are you serious? All kingdom work is people work. And here's the beautiful part. All work is people work. <laughs> Whatever you do, if you're a doctor, a graphic designer, an accountant, a pastor, and the Lord just marked my heart, and I was like, I will commit to people and building community for the rest of my life. And that's a specific call for me, but I just want to frame that because to be part of the church, it's community. It's a package deal. 
And there's this inherent tension that we're going to explore today in Ephesians 4 when you get individuals and you put them in a community. It's basic physics. You get a bunch of atoms in a little box, it's going to heat up. You get friction. You get, if you get enough friction, you get combustion, right? Throw a little oxygen in there and... So we're going to dive into these themes and explore this tension. So I'll start by just reading, because otherwise I'll forget. And we won't even talk about Ephesians 4. Um, chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And that's what we're going to unpack a little bit here at the beginning, is what is that calling that we've all received? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Okay, I'm going to preach right here, but it's Paul. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But, Brandon's word, our conjunction word, but to each one of us a grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then there's this little section I'm going to skip. It's him It's referring to something from the Psalms. Jumping down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then, this is the best part, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and every news article that we read and every circumstance, by every cunning and craftiness of people with their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead of being blown around, we will grow. And we'll grow to become, in every respect, the mature body. We'll grow together, not as individuals. We'll grow together to become the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, a couple comments. I'll start with kind of the middle. Obviously, the big contrast in this section is the oneness of the body. Seven times. One, 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 one. But, differentiation and individuality. And I love that word. The word apportioned literally means you've been given a limited portion. You're incomplete. You don't have what it takes as an individual. You're not enough in your own. We're all one, but you've been given a limited portion of gifts. And the purpose of those limited portioned gifts are to equip us for unity and acts of service within the body and without in the world. Us in the body, the body in the world, acts of service, love, communal oneness, with individual differentiation working together for works of service and acts of love in the world. So, quick note, we can nerd out on this, it'd be really fun, but I'm just gonna kind of two minute side car. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherds, right? I don't know, a few different ways you could engage this. If you grew up Roman Catholic or in a traditional Protestant church, you engage this by ignoring it and never talking about it. <laughs> 
If you grew up in a Pentecostal background, this is like a superpower or like a badge of honor and it's like posted on your door of your office. It's like a job title. I am the, I'm the office of the prophet. <laughs> Other literature and kind of missional church, missiologists, more nerdy academic people, they will almost turn this into like a psychological typology. So it's like the DISC, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, and you can actually, we've done this, some of us, you can go take a test just like you take a personality test and be like, what's your uh, apostolic evangelist gift mix? And you get these percentage breakdowns and, and it's really fun, it's great. So there's different ways to understand what this means. Uh, in, other in Romans 12 and I think 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about other gifts. So I don't know, it, there's over 16 if you start adding them. And I think it's pretty clear that Paul's just writing, he's, he's just talking about different giftings he's seen. And these words, we kind of Christianize them, but like an apostle's just, it's just like a military term for a leader, right? So these are, these, Paul's just seen unique different gifts emerging out of different ones, and he's just naming them, in my opinion. That's Dave's opinion interpretation. And there, there's at least 16, and there's probably more, and then you throw the fruits of the Spirit in there, and like the Holy Spirit does all kinds of things, and then it's a mixture and combination. There's, we could do some math and find out the different iterations and combinations of all those gifts, and there's a lot. Here's, here's, I think, Paul's point. We have been purposefully created diverse and different, and then God has demanded and made a way for unity to produce maturity and humility. Because the first not good in all of Scripture before sin is that we would be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. It's much better to be part of a body. So Paul sees different gifts and roles playing out in the early church unto the aim of many people becoming mature together, now able to do works of service, acts of love in this world. That's the aim. That's the purpose. The purpose is not about the roles or the leaders. If anything, it's an upside-down pyramid where leadership in God's kingdom and God's world is meant to be bottom-up, pushing and lifting everyone else to go out and do the thing that actually matters. We say all the time, the most churchy thing you do every week is your job, because you spend 40, 50 hours a week doing it. That's church. That's the purpose and aim of church, that we'd be doing acts of love and service in this world. And at the beginning here, Paul says that classic therefore. He's got a whole bunch of these therefores. And he urges us, he beseeches us, he wants us, he invites us, he compels us to live worthy of the calling. So... This is kind of a review of the last two weeks. Really quick, though, what is that calling? What does Paul believe that God has established individually? God has made us holy. Hagias, right? It's the Greek word used in all of Paul's letters. He addresses everyone as holy one. We should do that. We should walk around and be like, ah, oh, brother Seo, holy one. <laughs> Might be a little weird. We probably shouldn't do it. But Paul looks at followers of Jesus and he sees them as they are not yet. And he speaks to an identity that is their destiny. And he's doing the exact same thing right here, communally, by saying there is one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. You are one, even when you live segregated, separated, and apart. The, the reality is that we are destined to be one. And so Paul looks at us and he's like, you have unity. I, I love the last song, Mialette. I don't even know if she was supposed to lead it out. But the blood of Jesus, right? The same blood nourishes the whole body. 
The same blood covers us all, runs through us all, empowers us all. It atones us, it liberates us, and it adopts us. It's the same blood. We are one body even when we live as individualists and resist that reality. So Paul's saying, don't do that. Live a life worthy of the fact that we are holy, uniquely called and gifted to be part of a unified body. What would our lives look like if we lived like that was true? And then this last part, verse 14 through 16. This is the fun. We're going we're gonna to teach. So this is the big contrast. I didn't start my timer. Sorry. Um, we're only five seconds in. I guess I got 30 minutes. <laughs> There's no bell in this class. So Paul's contrast here, verse... 14 to 16, between individualists and people who are part of a body, a community. We need to do a little, little study. So there's this great book in full confession. I haven't finished all of it, but amazing sociological text, 20th century, Sources of the Self, The Making of Modern Identity. It's by a Roman Catholic scholar, sociologist named Charles Taylor. If you don't want to read this, you can read a much shorter book, called How Not to Be Secular by James K.A. Smith. It's only like 180 pages, summarizing this 600-page book. But this is, this is like a legendary text. And basically what Taylor does is he traces the evolution, the, the cultural shifts from the pre-Enlightenment era, 1500s, to the modern era, and how do humans, how do we see ourselves, and how do we like understand our sense of identity? And he basically makes a really, in 600 pages, he makes a really simple claim in case. In the modern day, we call this modern identity formation, the narrative, the script, that we're, the water we're all swimming in, if we grew up in a technologically advanced, internet-filled world, is all about the individual who exists in a social community but the formation of identity, of discovering your true self, is a journey inward. You look into your heart, and you decide who you are, what you value, and then you go out to your community, and in spite of what your community thinks or says, believes or thinks, you now define yourself in opposition to the narrative of the community. The, the philosophical anchor point of this is Enlightenment period philosopher Rene Descartes, I think therefore I am. Cogito ergo sum. I think therefore I am. Uh, a more relevant reference for you is Frozen, the movie Frozen, okay? Elsa needs to just let it go. It's going to put the whole world into a deep freeze. It's going to maybe kill some people, but this is who I am and I just need to express it. I don't care how it affects anyone else. It's the modern individualist and I would put you to the challenge Scroll through Netflix, Hulu, your favorite streaming device. 99% of all stories being told right now are the modern individualists defining themselves in the face of their oppressive community who doesn't understand them, who, doesn't, who tries to control them, who tries to close them in, tell them they can't let it. What's the words? I don't know. The, someone knows the song. Matt knows it. He's probably sang it a thousand times. <laughs> And then he contrasts that with a traditional form of identity, formation, traditional. And in this framework, this will be much more familiar if you're from a more rural community, um, if you're uh, 
probably from a, an immigrant, second generation immigrant community. I mean, we're all immigrants, but if you're a more recent immigrant in your family lineage, if you live in a more undeveloped part of the world. And in this framework, you exist within a social community, same, same setup, and all these people, your family, your friends, your whatever, fellow classmates, soccer team, whatever your social network is, instead of looking inside, it's just flipped. You look out to your community to help define who you are. And then you look inward at, and you see some of those desires and you sacrifice them for the sake of the community, for the betterment of the group. The, the movie here is, there's not many, Lord of the Rings, right? The Fellowship, risk their lives for Middle Earth. <laughs> this is this, the, the philosophical departure point for this. There's this kind of well-known African proverb. I go to Zambia every summer and I encountered it there in just conversation. It's called Ubuntu. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But it simply means this. I am because we are. I am because we are. And so in this setup, you're self-validating. Who am I and how am I doing at being that version of myself? It's all on me to self-validate. And here, who am I? I look out. And then the community validates, right? Some of us probably get this more than others. And the, the irony is in this modern age, we all live kind of in the tension of both. And this gets us to our first, I think, warning or challenge from Paul's words here at the end of chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. And it's our American individualism. This is his reference here to a person tossed back and forth, to and fro. Okay, another quote. Guys, we're already through two books, almost. This is another sociological text. Team of five academic researchers interviewed thousands of people trying to understand and do an assessment of American culture. Great book. I wouldn't read it. I got really excited and read it last week. <laughs> True story in one day, Thursday morning, six hours. And they say this, and I just feel like it encapsulates the tension we all live in. We strongly assert, we Americans, we strongly assert the value of our self-reliance and our autonomy. Yet, we deeply feel the emptiness of a life without sustaining social commitments. And still, we are hesitant to articulate that sense that we need each other as much as we need to stand alone for the fear that if we did, we would lose our independence altogether. Is this not us? It's expressing this beautiful tension here of needing to be your unique, differentiated, God-given, gifted self, yet also feeling completely empty if you go it alone and needing a community to actually validate because we can't self-validate. And there's this, this tension kind of built into the American mind, the American culture. If you, if you have your phone on the church website, I, uh, on the worship tab, if you scroll down, there's a little surprise down at the bottom of the worship lyrics. And look at, I, I put up, I was just thinking about this. This is for Ben, by the way. Anytime I try and do something creative, I'm like, oh, this is for Ben. Because he's a four on the Enneagram. <laughs> so I was praying about this imagery from Paul about being tossed to and fro. And this image kept coming to my mind. And I was like, what is this? 
I've seen this painting somewhere. And I just started searching and searching and searching. Finally, I found it. it's a 19th century American landscape painter named Winslow Homer. And the first image there is this, this man rowing a rowboat against the waves. He's got a big fish. And I just, I mean, first of all, it looks like Ben, right? And I, I don't know about you ladies, but for the fellas, I look at this painting, I'm like, yeah, I want to be that guy. He's got like these rugged, cool clothes, this big beard, a cool hat. I could never pull off that hat. I looked like I was 12, and he's just rowing against the ocean, and he's got this 100-pound fish. He's like the epitome of the American individualist. I can do it myself. <laughs> I, can, I can feed myself. I can beat the waves. This image of strength, independence, resilience. The, the image of us trying to self-validate, self-provide. And then scroll down to the next two images, and this is what I feel like usually happens. <laughs> Our mast breaks, we lose our oars, the waves get bigger, and all of a sudden we end up like passed out on a beach. <laughs> and here's what I started to reflect on, and I'm going beyond the texture, because Paul specifically is talking about being tossed to and fro by false teaching, but I feel like we, as American individualists, are so vulnerable and susceptible to being tossed to and fro by every whim of circumstance, news article, emotional trigger. We're so unstable. Because at the end of the day, when you're alone, you're always at the mercy of the elements. Our identity, our well-being, our emotions, our decisions are easily manipulated, tossed to and fro when we're alone. When you get isolated, you're easily manipulated. And I'm sure we could all tell funny stories about times where we tried to be strong and do it on our own, only to end up like passed out on that beach. I won't go into all the details, but one that comes to my mind was, oh, this is probably 10 years ago. And I was literally caught in this tension here. I had this kind of transformative experience, traveling, doing missions, and I go home. So I'd had this individual transformative experience, a co experience community that really validated and saw, saw like roles or gifts or things that my community I grew up in had never seen, had, had overlooked or ignored, or just not been capable of seeing. And then I go to this other community, and these things get drawn out. And then I go back to my old community, and now I'm like, <laughs> playing this tension game. And I'm getting in arguments with my parents like every day, because they think I'm going to go to grad school and be an engineer. But now I want to be a vagabond and travel the world. And, <laughs> and they can't understand the logic in that. So I'm in that season. Me and my best friend Chris, we're, we're chopping wood, because we have no money. So we're chopping wood and selling it on Craigslist. And it's day one, like three hours in, and he's chainsawing logs out in the woods and rolling them over to me, and I'm, and I'm splitting them. And I'm, I've been going like hours solid of just splitting wood into little fire kindling. And at one point, you know, like that self-talk, you know, when you're in your head, and I'm like, man, Jesus is so good. I can't believe he like changed my life. This is such an adventure. And then... Me and Chris are drinking coffee and chumming about it, and we're like, this is awesome. What a wild adventure. We're 23. Who knows what wor the world has for us? And then I go back to chopping, and like two minutes later, I'm like, oh, man, what am I doing? I don't have any money. I don't have a job. I'm disappointing my parents. And, I, and I'm like slingshotting between traditional and modern identity, feeling these, like I'm letting my family down. And... Right at that low point, my axe gets stuck in a log, and there's like a stump, 
and then a driveway, and I can't get it on the stump, and concrete's harder than a stump, so I turn like this to hit it on the concrete, and there's a little log laying there on the ground, and have you ever seen one of those old Looney Tunes cartoons where like Wile E. Coyote steps on a rake, and it whacks him in the face, and then he goes like pinged out and shakes? So I catch the bottom like half inch of a log that's already split, laying on the ground, and it kicks up into my mouth, shattered all four of my bottom teeth, and blood just starts pouring down my chin. Now you see why the painting feels so relevant. And I'm just feeling so, I'm so uncertain. I feel like I'm just getting all these mixed messages about who I am, what I should do with my life, what's right, what's wrong, and I just want stability, and I'm just floundering. And I remember Katie came over later that night, and we've been dating like for six months, all of which I was gone, and I'm like, look, what, look, look who you chose, and I have this big fat chin and fat lips and stitches, and my teeth are missing, and, and it's a mess. And I think in many ways, the first 30 years of our life are meant to be caught in that tension of figuring out who we are. And that season culminated, the climax of that season of being tossed to and fro ended with this crazy huge argument with my parents and me having a complete panic attack and blacking out in the basement. And I wake up and my mom's holding my head in her lap, just brushing my hair saying, it's okay, it's okay because I'm so psychologically distressed about this tension of not knowing who I am, not knowing who to trust, not knowing who to please. I'm caught between the pull of individual differentiation and the expectations of community and the needs of community. And here's the beautiful part that Paul is painting here, because we all know this can be very unhealthy too. The individualist is unhealthy, but so can this. You can have an oppressive community who controls, manipulates, expects you to be something you're never going to be. But Paul paints this beautiful vision here of the church as this healthy, vibrant community. Paul paints this picture that relationships are as real or more real than your individual expression and reality. Think about that. I mean, we believe that, right? Eternity past, God has never been alone. He's never been alone relationships are as real as the chairs we sit on, the phones we hold, the, the cells in our body. Relationships are as real as concrete substances. It's not substance and then out of that relationship. Relationship is more eternal, I would say, than physical creation. And this is the vision Paul's inviting us into, that Christ has unified those relationships, like Brandon talked about. And yes, we want to have communities that are safe places where we can encourage experimentation, differentiation, different roles, gifts, expressions, but then also you need to be part of a community where you can sacrifice, where you can engage in formation and challenge and be pushed. We need community to anchor us. And my first experience of this, and I could list a thousand, but my first experience of this, I'm at that mission school, this is right before I went home, probably part of the reason it set me up for all this psychological agony. And I come back from this trip, and I'd been asked to share some stories about our time in Cambodia. And I got up and shared a couple stories, shed a few tears, my first time public speaking in my life. 
other than like the ninth grade speech class where you have to go up and like talk for two minutes and then like run back to your desk, okay? This is my first time doing public speaking in my life. And Mike Brown walks up to me after with his shiny, beady little eyes like he gets. <laughs> like he's like seeing through you. And he looks at me as confident as I've ever heard anyone speak to me. And he goes, God's called you to be a teacher and I will do whatever I can to support that becoming a reality. And I'm 23 and no one's ever told me that. And this is, this is where we start to see the the symbiosis, the, the need of how these two can actually work together, that a community could help call out. We don't, we're not smart enough to figure it out on ourselves, on our own strength, our own insight, our own smarts. We need others. We need others to help us find out who we are and who we're not. We need others to help expose our comparison and our limits to make us mature. Out of that, we will get clarity of identity, purpose, and unity. And the best part, unlike that rowboat guy, we'll get stability. Okay, and then kind of in closing here, this is the second warning. We have American individualism. Second warning is American idealism. Because maybe I've convinced you, oh, I get it, we need to be part of communities. Whether that's this church community or the other social network communities of relationships that you navigate every day. Okay, our American idealism. So if, if the first one is American individualism being tossed to and fro by the waves, American idealism is the body without the head. Okay, and let me read a very short quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. So I've convinced you, maybe, that community is important. And we're all excited about this, like we get. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer offers us a little warning. Page 27 of his famous Life Together, he says, He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. And his point here, his question to us is do we love the ideal of community or do we love the community? <laughs> do we love our expectations and our hopes and our imagined vision of what community life will be like or do we love real people who bring with them all their mess and all their failures and all the ways we let each other down and hurt each other? Are we willing to commit to that? And as a church that's trying to do house church and little communities, I'm like, there's idealism in me, for sure. I won't speak for any of you, but I bring idealism to every relationship I have. And this is kind of the last thing I'll say is the cost of real, what Paul's talking about here about being knit together, growing up, gaining a sense of clarity of identity, purpose, and stability, what that costs you, the price of that, it's going to be conflict. This old legendary guy named Ken Helser, um, I remember he said one time, conflict is the price you pay for intimacy. And when we come to communities with this mixed bag of who am I, what am I doing, what do I need, what do I not need, when we come to communities with that, I don't think many of us, we don't come to church thinking like, hey, are there any like conflict small groups here? Who's the messiest person in this group? Could I just, you know, start hanging out with them and get some conflict? But God's vision for humanity is a deep relational maturity, or as Papa Ken calls it, intimacy. And if you want that, if, if you really, really want that, 
There's no way to it except through conflict. I've had more conflict. I've cried more with my wife and Matt Hulst than anyone in the last five years. And there's, there's no one who has built me up and stabilized me as much. If you want that clarity, if you want that purpose, if you want that stability, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost commitment to broken people. And you're broken too. And it's guaranteed to be messy. The church, Paul's vision for the church, offers a safe place to learn who we are and who we are not and to help others do the same. It's going to cost you conflict and it's going to cost you sacrificing part of your individuality. And you're going to gain this clarity of identity, a clarity of shared purpose and stability. And instead of the guy rowing his boat alone at the mercy of the waves, you become like a body knit together, growing in strength year after year, cells reproducing, tearing conflict, regrowing stronger. And you figure out who you are and who you're not. So I'll close with Paul's words in verse 13. And together, we who have each been given a limited portion will attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.